Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. As the 1986 NBA draft arrived, the Boston Celtics had reclaimed their position as an NBA champion. They won the title that year, its third of the decade, and Bob Ryan was in a prime position to chronicle the team's successes. Ryan was a columnist for the Boston Globe with a focus on the Celtics. Few journalists were as dialed into the team at that time as Ryan. This is Dave Ungrady, executive producer of the podcast series, Born Ready, A Mixed Legacy, which is based on the book I authored called Born Ready, The Mixed Legacy of Len Bias. In this episode of The Interviews, Ryan offers his reflections of the 1986 draft, the one that gave Len Bias to the Celtics, as it turned out, all too briefly. He talks with podcast producer Don Marcus. Now, you were, were, were you the columnist at that point, or were you still covering the league and the team at that point? Uh, I was covering the beat. I had gone back for the third and what turned out to be a final time in the February of that year. And it was a chain of events that took place when Peter Gammons left the globe for the second and final time to go to Sports Illustrated for the second and final time. <laughs> and Dan Shaughnessy had been covering the team after I had given it up in, in 1982. And he immediately put his hand up for baseball. That's without that totally was uh, always his first love. Right. And so he got the baseball beat. And then, long story short, after they had interviewed a couple of other people, I was very content doing what I was doing at that time, which was basically being a basketball guy at large for college and pro and writing mm. different columns along the way. I was kind of a, a real big – I was a utility man, you know, but a happy mm. one. And I finally accepted, uh, all right, I'll take it, I said, you know. And, well, that's when they were kicked in, the 85-86 Celtics. That's when they were peaking. That's when they were – totally kicking ass every night. And it was the greatest show on basketball earth at the time. And my, uh, I fell into it and I got totally. So anyway, I wound up doing for another tune that they had rest of that year and two more years. So yes, I was in fact the beat man uh, when, okay. when that draft was held. Okay. What, what do you, re- what do you remember going into the draft? Now they had just won the championship. So there wasn't a whole lot of time after that. No, uh, well, no, because to see, they didn't win in 85. They, they, they lost to the, to the Lakers in 86. No, 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 86. They, oh, in 86. Yeah, they win. They win the championship. And, right. and they have this bonus of the number two pick in the draft, thanks to this wonderful trade that Jan Volk had worked with the Sonics way back when, which trade, and they traded Gerald Henderson for the Seattle number one in 86. 
no one on either side assuming the Sonics were going to stink bad enough that you'd get a really prime pick. They would have been very happy with 10, 11, 12, believe me. Well, they're going to have number two pick. And uh, on top of being a champion, it was, it was, a nerv- it was orgasmic. You know, I'm telling you, people were so excited. And of course, you know, the big question was uh, Doherty or, or Lenny. Uh, but I remember um, I was t- doing some radio, as we all were right now at the time. And, on, and um, we were interviewing the coaches of the uh, prospective draft picks for the Celtics. Dana Kirk, because William Bedford was a possibility, and um, among others. And we interviewed Lefty. And I'll never forget Lefty talking about Lenny. And uh, this, these words have resonated in my head for, obviously, the last 35 years. Leonard's only vice is ice cream. And I, I'll never forget him saying that. And, uh, you know, but, yeah, so we, we talked to Lefty about, about Lenny. Yeah. Um, was we, we talked to Pat Williams a, a couple of weeks ago and he told a story about Jack McMahon. They didn't even, they didn't even bring bias in to talk to him because McMahon said there's something about him I don't like. And, and then they trade the pick. They trade the pick to Cleveland. Was there any talk about any of this, you know, these machinations going on at the time? I recall nothing of that sort. Uh, okay. And nothing. I mean, that's news to me. Um, yeah. And because I love Jack, but I would, and I would respect anything that Jack had to say, quite frankly. So I don't know what. Yeah, what, he had a. Yeah, he knew something nobody else knew. But I had not. We had heard nothing of that nature. No. Okay. So, so the night night of the draft, you're the day of the draft. You're in New York. No, um, I'm in I'm in Boston. Oh, you're in Boston. You didn't I'm go in there. Boston. I'm at the draft site, which was the uh, at the Garden, uh, the old um, press room. And uh, so, okay. yeah, I'm at the guard for the draft. Okay. When they get by, when, when Doherty goes first, Bias goes second, was there a feeling that they got, you know, almost like in, in terms of when Jordan went uh, a couple of years before, they actually got the better pick? You know, first of all, I don't think enough. Who, now, who's the, they, uh, first of all, who are the people we're talking about? The media? I'm not even sure. I know the fans didn't understand how good he was. I'm pretty sure about that. Um, and, and I don't know about the rest of the media. I was fortunate in that I had actually seen him play. I was actually there, Don, the night he dropped 40 on, on, on Duke in, in, in Cameron. Told, I yeah. Too. I was there for, I, I don't know what I was doing. I don't know, but I was there. And, and I remember talking to Kay after him, after it and so forth. Okay. So I happened to be there that night. So I, I it was very fresh in my mind, but no, um, and people knew it was really good, but yeah, I mean, I guess in retrospect, People were pretty excited about it, they, and 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 um, so yeah. No, what can I say? Yes. Yeah. Well, who did he rem- did he remind you of anybody? Was he unique because yeah, I of think his the size? Level, I've always it wasn't exactly the style per se, but the level I thought he would attain. And I've always used this analogy for the last thirty five years. I don't think he was the super duper. You know, he's not Magic Michael, Larry, LeBron. He's worthy. He's that level. He's a perennial all-star. He's going to the Hall of Fame. Uh, but it's the next tier of greatness, the second tier. Uh, still a great and still a Hall of Famer. Uh, and, you know, and no, of course, you know, the whole thing with the Celtics was that he was going to be, for the, for the 24 hours or less, for 18 hours, he was going to be the bridge between the big three and the next generation. And, and uh, you know, ideal, incredible. How lucky can you get? Bird apparently actually in that interim, that very short period of time, 
was excited. He knew something. He, he had seen it. Uh, he was excited about, I'm going to come to camp early even, you know, work with him, that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, he, at least he knew. Or he, he felt he knew. Mm-hmm. When you say you didn't think he was of the, you know, in that, in that pantheon, what, what, what at that point, and did you think he could have, you know, if, if, you know, if he had exceeded those of your expectations, oh, I mean, gotten to that pantheon? Well, I mean, uh, the point is that you have a, your own gradation, right? And uh, the Mount Olympus and, and the people that are, you know, on the waiting list for Mount Olympus and then, you know, uh, so, all right. And at that point uh, in time, you know, the, the, the reigning, it, it, the all-time great list of the, the unquestionable included the three centers, naturally, Russell Wilton and Kareem. Uh, Oscar and Jerry at that point were still, you know, and then the current guys, the current guys at that time, you know, were Magic Michael. And, and Well, actually, Michael yet. Michael hadn't, this is not Michael yet. It's Magic and Larry. And Michael's knocking on the door, which he did on that April 20th when he dropped the, the 63 points. But, but, um, but Michael's knocking on the door. Okay. But no, it's just the idea of, of, uh, you have you exalted. I wasn't ready to put him on the top of the list, but I certainly thought he was going to be an, you know, it was a dream pick to be an all-star. Let me just say before we forget that twice subsequently and, and over these years, Coach K has, Told me that the two greatest opponents he ever faced were Michael and Len Bias, and that's pretty high praise. Yeah. Where? Uh, what do you remember about uh, June nineteenth, and 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 what? When did Very you get simple. your phone call, and what happened? Well, can I back that? it up to the night of the dra- the day of the draft? Sure. He comes to Boston for the impress Rondelay and. Uh, we interv- I was on part of WEEI radio at the time, uh, uh, you know, yeah, as a contributor, and I was part of the interview process for him. And and I can still see him sitting across from me and us in a gray suit with a Celtic hat and his father, I believe, beaming behind him. And I'll never forget, you know, and then we interviewed him. And then next thing you know, you know, he, he went off wherever he went, you know, and here's my story. Everybody's got a story. So the next day, uh, I'm going to say somewhere between nine and 10 in the morning. Uh, I'm prepared to go to my office to do whatever I was planning on writing that day. Um, I was a big office guy. A lot of college, you know, people weren't, but I was. I love to go to the office. So I am about to get in the car when my son, who was then 16 years old, came running out of the house. Dad, dad, Len Bias is dead. What? Okay. And there it went. I said, well, I guess I'm going to the art garden. I'm not going home to the office. And that's it. And that's how I found out. Yeah. And, 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 and being in Boston now, I know people were down in College Park and even people there didn't know for, you know, they said heart attack. Uh, what, at what point did you, did you suspect, did you think it could be drugs or, or, I mean, it's so rare for a guy that, that. I honestly, no, I'm not dodging here. I don't remember, uh, the, I'd have to go see what I wrote even, which, you know, I don't know, I, I, I don't know what I wrote, frankly. And, and, um, that day, I don't know what speculation, you know, what level of speculation there was, uh, in the first 24 hours. I honestly do not recall. I, mm-hmm. I'm no good on this chronology of, uh, at all whatsoever. Okay. So yeah. I, I absolutely don't know. And now you've got to be curious when we're done here, I'm going to newspapers.com <laughs> and I'm going to see what the hell I wrote because I don't know what I wrote. Right. Right. Well, I'll, I'll tell you one of the things I wrote. Uh, I was, I was at, I was in, uh, even though I was covering Maryland, I was at the U.S. Open 
at Shinnecock and I was out playing golf, came back to the, you know, place we were staying and, and it was on the news. And, but one of the things I wrote was that if the Celtics were not only a, a really good fit for him from a basketball standpoint, because he didn't have to be the star and for, and Jan Bolt said the other day, that's rare for a number two pick in the draft, not to have those huge expectations. But also knowing his personality and knowing that he didn't really love the media, that he didn't he dealing with us, at least the one year I dealt with him at Maryland. He wouldn't have had to deal it deal with the media that much in Boston because you had all these larger than life guys stuck with Larry at the top of the list taking all, all the all the air you know, the airspace. Would, would would that have helped him, you know, in terms of not having to be the guy. If, if, if that's your personality, absolutely, absolutely it's yes. Uh, you know, some others might resent the fact that they weren't getting the attention they thought they deserved, but if he felt that way, it would have been ideal. Oh, uh, it was, it was so ideal in, in theory. Now, the, because, so yeah, that's a good point. And I, I, uh, um, I think the supposition is correct. It would have, because there's no question there was a pecking order, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, he would have been far down the list. You got four Hall of Famers right off the top of the bat, uh, you know, and, uh, Walton, well, no, five, because Walton was still there, because uh, his contribution was over. He got hurt immediately in that next season and was played 10 games and retired. So that was it. But they did, in fact, have, uh, as it turns out, five Hall of Famers in that team. And, and, and Danny Ainge was pretty damn good, a 14-year player of, of, of consequence. So well, that was the roster, yeah. And Scott Wedman, for that matter, too. So, yeah, all-star. One of the things that Jan Volk said, one of the things he liked about about bias is that – he played mean. Mm-hmm. He, there was a, there was a, there was an attitude that he played with, an aggression that he played with. And he said that Red loved, I, I, I'm not sure if the word was instigators or intimidators. And he didn't like guys who just reacted to those uh-huh. kind of guys. Uh-huh. And, and that he thought, Jan Volk said he thought Len fit that mold. When you saw him play, did you see that? Like you, and, and when you put it together when he was drafted, you said, you know, the, the guy has the great attitude, the right sort of toughness to be no, I, I to be a Celtic. I don't think there's any question. Uh, you know, I mean, I, my memory was fresh because I had seen him get the 40 against Duke. Wasn't I was the first time I, and only time I saw him in person, but obviously saw him on TV uh, over you know over his career, and and uh, it, it was very very impressed, of course. Oh, the the idea that the team had just won 67 games, uh, had just gone through the the, the, the playoffs was one of the great one season teams of all time. I still think as good as any team that ever played uh, was going to add a player of this consequence uh, was it, 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 the lips were drooling. You know how, you know, I mean, people were just freaking out. Uh, but then again, we're, we're talking about 24 hours, you know, or less, but oh, the idea of it was, was tremendous and, and a good fortune. And, and that's, here's the other thing. He was viewed as the turnaround. Good luck. Charm, you know that they they needed to, to get the, back on on track in that regard. And it turned out he turned out to be the beginning of the bad karma that lasted over twenty years. You know Reggie Lewis being the, the, the another uh, you know terrible story, terrible story. Uh, but um, anyway, um, he, it was it was just so too good to be true kind of thing. And I'm the thing I've always wondered. In, the, in, in retrospect, is how Red would have handled it. Uh, sooner or later, he would have had to play more, a la Worthy. 
you know, and, and, you know, what do they do? They're, they're, they're going to break up the big, you're not trading Larry. So you can forget that. Uh, you know, that's never happening. Um, trade Kevin. Would that be, you know, as a bridge player to get you picks and, you know, and, 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 and then Lenny becomes the next, the new number two guy. Uh, we'll never know, but uh, it, it's a total moot point. So, you know, I won't, we, and, and as it turned out, the big three were never broken up. They just went expired, you know, one by one. They, they broke down. They did. So, Larry went first and then like Kevin went and then Robert went and, and that was it. And, and Dave Gavin agonized over this when he was in charge, what to do, what to do, what to do. And he didn't do anything. And it, and it just deteriorated. Yeah. Was, was Bias's death the, you know, sort of the, the, um, sort of the beginning of that demise or did it really take for what you said happened with these guys breaking down and then also obviously the tragedy with Reggie Lewis to sort of, that was, that was really what catapulted the, you know. The, yeah, I mean, you, you date it with, with bias and, and then you throw in uh, that having a, uh, the, they thought that they had 15, win 15 games, you know, back in the, the one year and, and they don't get the number one pick, you know, they get three and six. It turns out to be Chauncey Phillips who Rick Pitino gave up on too soon and Ryan Mercer who didn't make it. And, uh, uh, anyway, and there was a lot of what well, well was us going on from 19, from that date in 87, on uh, 86, excuse me, until Danny made the trade and, you know, for, for Allen and, and then here come, and Garnett and put that team together 20 years later, over 20 years later that did win the championship. Yeah. I, I, I had a prominent former Maryland player tell me he wondered if, if bias was as, as, as Dave has written in his book, more than just a, a one-time, you know, this wasn't a one-time deal. It, you know, he, he used, he used cocaine before this and he, this time it killed him. Given the culture of the NBA then and how prevalent, you know, cocaine use was in, in society and in sports, um, do you think that there was a danger of a, you know, with any players? I mean, you look at David Thompson's career, you look at John Lucas. Uh, that, that, that was, that, that, that might have been the thing that held not only, you know, these guys, those guys back from being all time greats, but, but anybody. And, and when you have a guy like Bias, it, this could have just, you know, it could have, it could have been a, this was an ultimate tragedy, but it could have also, with the prevalence of cocaine, you know, it, it was, it was, it was a tough road for some of these young guys to navigate. I've always found it difficult to believe it was a one-time deal. I've always, that's all I can say. I find it very difficult to believe. It just sounds very naive to me to think that this was just a, 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 an experiment going wrong. Uh, okay. I can't disagree with the premise that this, if this, if he did have a, a liking, I won't say a habit, but a liking and, and a proclivity and, a, and an interest in it at all, this was the wrong period in time in history. Uh, that's for sure. Because that's exactly there were lots of stories of that the NBA was uh, was uh, going through a very bad period at that time. It was a dark a dark age in that regard. And John Lucas, you mentioned, like God, I lived through that. And uh, yeah, to me, he was always a symbol of how powerful the drug is when a man that intelligent, that aware, uh, it was seemed to be powerless to the drug at the time. Uh, you know, uh, without that 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 impressed me. You know, I mean, that scared me and 
drove home, drove home to me how, how powerful it could be. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's conceivable. I mean, but then again, rampant speculation, just on my rampant speculation as to what would have had to happen with, happen with the Celtics over a three or four or five year period if he had, as he had matured as a player, what would, how they would have handled it. But I, I, I'm going to assume he would have had to feel that he needed to play more and deserved to play more than he was going to play as a rookie. And, and, but you know, and all this is speculation. That's what we're left with. Yeah. Do you, do you think he would have if he if he had lived up to his the talent that you saw he would have because of who he was playing with where he was playing and and sort of the the league has a way to create these rivalries whether they're natural or not natural he would have been pushed out there as as the rival to Michael Jordan and given given the fact that they had a somewhat of a history you uh, know in, in the ACC I don't, it might have been more external. I don't think it would have been internal. I don't think the Celtics were into that kind of thing necessarily. I don't. Um, plus they're different, they were different players. I mean, when, when, when Coach K told me that, I thought of it, I started thinking about the, the nature of their games. And, and he was saying these are the greatest opponents. He didn't say they were similar because they weren't necessarily, you know. Um, and he, he, he was, I don't think of him in the same terms as Michael at all. Uh, you know, Michael and Kobe, yeah, you think of them in, in, in that skill set. I don't see his skills. That's why I mentioned Worthy. I think it's a, I think Worthy is a, as good a comparison of, as I've ever come up with as, as to, uh, the, everything about him. And, uh, you know, maybe Worthy was a little bit quicker up and down the floor, but he was stronger, I think, and inside there would have been, there would have been a trade off there, but the, he certainly could get up and down the floor. But, but, uh, I just think that that's the, the, the level I'm talking about. And that I, I don't think the Celtics would have been actively promoting, you know, that, uh, uh, once again, I don't, I don't recall any instances where they really indulge in that kind of thing. Even with Larry and Bird, it, that no, was just no, more unnatural. No, that was all, no, no, really, it was as external. The world at large saw it that way. And, and, and Larry and, and Magic didn't shy away from the fact that they respect, you know, before they got to know each other, which didn't happen until circa 85, when it was merely a rival, a, a professional rivalry, they were always uh, complimentary of each other's games and, and, and not afraid to say that. So um, they were, you know, and it was a rivalry. And, and you know, Magic told me uh, when I did a story uh, for Sports Illustrated once on them that, uh, you know, he would in fact circle the calendar, you know, when the schedule came out, you know, and, you know, he looked forward and, and both of them admitted that they watched the box scores. And if one got a triple double, the other one, you know, uh, well, maybe tonight I'll, you know, I got, I got to get one. It was a friendly, but it was never angry or bitter. It was totally based on mutual respect and the feeling that, that, uh, he, the, the other guy saw the game the way he did. And, 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 and respected the game the way he did. They, that, that's what they liked about each other. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women. Take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women.
Happy International Women's Day. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my, my game. game. <laughs> when Bias died, do you, did you think that the – did it impact the NBA in terms of the, the, their awareness of, of – of, players that in terms of drug use, in terms of doing investigations into players, more, more homework, you know, more background checks, or was it just a one-off that this guy died? And, and, and that was a, 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 a star-crossed draft in general. Right. And I think it bottomed out there, but it didn't, didn't, uh, it's not like everybody had an epiphany. Uh, what year was Tarpley? Was he Same there? Year. Same, same year. year. Bedford. It was Bedford, Bedford. same. Yeah, it was the uh, same. Uh, 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 Chris, 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 Chris Washburn. Oh my God, Chris Washburn. You know yeah. what a what a what a what a star-crossed bunch that was. Uh, everybody but the man at the top who you know, Brad, stayed clear of all this as far as I know, right? Right. But uh, yeah, uh, um, I, I don't think there was an epiphany yet. I think, uh, but it certainly was the it didn't never never got any worse than than that crop. I don't think for for a draft class. But uh, it didn't end until, you know, the late image didn't improve at all until, uh, you know, until we got Michael really became, you know, more and more the focus in the late 80s. And, and, uh, and, and that, and so that's what I was about to say. I, I, it was a dark period. It was a bad period. Yeah. Did, Celt- did Celtic fans, uh, how did they react to, to Bias's death? Was, did they view it as a tragedy? Did they, were they angry that, you know, this great guy did something really stupid. I think it was a I I can't. I would think that proportionately, Don, it was more of a 
doing of what a waste and how horrible this is. The young, you know, the 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 uh, A.E. Hausman, the athlete dying young thing, you know, um, more than anything. I don't think yeah, you know, I don't think too many people were saying, oh. Thanks a lot. You screwed us now. You know, we were going to, you, know, you were going to be our bridge and you're not here. I don't think there was much of that. I think it was just the shock and tragedy and the feeling, you know, plus right away, his mom was out, out front in public, you know, and, and, uh, you know, you, so, you know, you focus your, 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 your thoughts and energy on, on her loss and so forth. So that was part of it too, because she was very, very definitely prom, you know, prominent from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, in terms of when, when I, I remember running up to Boston when, you know, flying up there when we heard that, cause he was from Baltimore, that Reggie Lewis had collapsed. Oh. And, and then by the time I landed at Logan, he was dead. And then being there that whole week and then for the, for the, for the you know, yeah, memorial service at Northeastern yeah. and everything. Yep. Was there, I can't remember, was there much talk about bias? Were the two tragedies intertwined for, for years or were they separate because Reggie Lewis was the captain of the team when he died? Well, you know, you know, bias was a draft tool. With bias, it was bias we hardly knew yet. We didn't know yet. And Reggie Lewis was had become, uh, a, you know, by the time he died, was, was the best player on the team. Larry was, you know, about that point gone and Kevin was in his last year and, and, and Robert was getting old. So Reggie was the reigning all-star at the time. You know, you know, he was their new best player. Uh, and plus he had the background of Northeastern and, and so he had, people were familiar with him for about, uh, near up over almost a decade and it, it, it hit home you know, tremendously, tremendously. But it was hard. Um, I don't remember exactly how much linkage. I, if the linkage was more, uh, woe is us, you know, the Celtics, what, what do we do to deserve this kind of thing as a, you know, the Celtics. Uh, um, but certainly uh, Reggie's was a major, sorry, Reggie was a big star for the younger, younger fans particularly. I'll never forget, you, you mentioned that day and, and the, 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 uh, Mix of humanity that lined the streets and and it went to that service. Uh, you know, uh, he had touched an awful broad swath of the Boston uh, community public. Uh, Reggie had, and you know, he because up to that point there was never anything to worry about with Reggie. You know, until he collapsed. Uh, uh you know, he, he had famously had a turkey giveaway at Thanksgiving. He was he, he was a, a soft spoken, uh, not boastful. You know, he was a, a exemplary. You know, a representative for your your team, et cetera. You know, he was beloved. He really was. And uh, so that would, that would, that hit hard. One of the things that Dave wrote about, and we've, we've learned even more since we started doing this is that how politicians use bias as death uh, to sort of enact tougher drug laws uh, with the 1986 anti-drug abuse act. And, and, um, and one of those, I think uh, Tip O'Neill, um, was was one of those obviously influential people in in Washington. Was there any talk up there in Boston? Do you remember anything about Bias's name coming up with with these struggles? I honestly okay. don't. No. Yeah. Okay. Um, what, does Bias have a legacy in Boston, or because he never played for the Celtics, there there is no legacy? No, I mean it's it's, it's a known. I'd love to know, for example, if you. If you interview the average 25 year old Celtic fan now, whether he or she, how much they know at all about it. Uh, I, 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 I'd be curious. I, you know, I, I, it's a, 
it's part of his, it's a history thing. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, it's not real. Uh, you know, it doesn't resonate to to, uh, to the younger people now. I don't think at all in, in any way. So the answer is no. It never, maybe if he had played a year and teased everybody with how good he was, and then it happened, you know. But but since he never played a second, so, since his Celtic career was less than twenty four hours <laughs> total, uh, I. I you know, I, I I don't think it's there's a resonance for all the for anybody who wasn't there, and you know I was there, and and uh, you know I'll never forget my son running out of the house that moment, you know, and 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 it was it was it was a stunning stunning day. Was it? I mean, given everything you've covered, every every event, every athlete, I mean, was it among the most shocking things? I mean, do you have clear memories of? Of that, as people have of yeah, you know, where I, they were with the Kennedy assassination. Well, yeah, well, no, I just told you, I, I'm, yeah, for me, the moment is how I found out was my son drive, running out of the house and, and having heard it on the radio or, or seen it on TV. I don't know which way it was, but, uh, dad, dad, Reggie, uh, uh, Len Bias is dead. And I was, it was totally stunning. Uh, I've, I was present for Tony C getting hit. I was behind home plate that night. I had a box seat. In fact, I got a foul ball in the first inning, <laughs> as it turns out. But, uh, you know, that was a jarring thing, you know, and, um, uh, just, and the beginning, you know, his life was never the same. Anyway, I was there for that. Um, Reggie, when Reggie's, that's right there with me. The night Reggie collapsed, which was in the first quarter of the game against Charlotte in game one in 1983, I was sitting behind the basket and, uh, and, and that night, not on the sideline, first row behind the basket. And 10 people, all of a sudden, there's nine people running up the other end of the court and one one sitting on the floor. And it was Reggie Lewis with a look on his face that I that that I interpreted as what's happening. What has just happened to me? And that's the image I have, because he was 10 feet away from me when he collapsed from just where I was sitting, 10 or 12 feet away. So that's always resonated. Uh, and but, but Lenny Bias is, is, is running out of the house. When I found out that Reggie had died, I was covering the Red Sox in, in Milwaukee. I, I, I remember on a road trip in, in that summer. So, uh, but those two things, Tony, those two, Reggie, I mean, Tony C getting hit in the, in the face in October, August 18th, 1967, and, and Reggie collapsing 12 feet in front of me and, you know, leading a path that led to eventually to his death. And then, well, then Len Bias, my son running out of the house. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Dave, do you have some questions for, for, for Bob? I do. To sort of extend beyond what we were talking there about the impact within the Celtics community or in Boston and comparing it with other events, there have been references to Len's death being an extension of the curse of the Bambino. Um, it's been written about, um, whether that's all just, you know, hype or I'd like, I'd like you to put that in perspective with, with the, with the added context of, I remember reading Bob Cousy being quoted, uh, you know, 15 years ago or over the, over the past that he, he equated it to the curse of the Bambino. And I, I, I talked to Bob about a month ago. I got him on the phone and, and not surprisingly, he didn't remember saying it. You, you've come to a, somebody that though my good friend Dan Shaughnessy is, you know, lived off and profited well from propagating the idea, the myth of the curse of the Bambino. Uh, you know, I, I've never, obviously I don't buy into it at all. I think it's utter nonsense. Um, uh, and uh, so uh, if anybody equating it to something that is 
silly to start with is just waste of time. And all things, mm-hmm. the whole concept to me is a waste of time. By the way, let me, about the curse of the Bambino, as long as we got 30 seconds among us here. The first time I heard about this concept was circa 1993, or was it 83? I can't, one of the threes. Um, Don, you know Henry Hecht, right? Sure. Sure. Well, Henry's a friend, and Henry's uh, roommate at Vanderbilt at the time uh, was at the time a minister with a, with a congregation in down in, in uh, Situate, Mass, two towns down. And Henry was up visiting, and we were over visiting his friend Daryl. And Daryl said, uh, Daryl's a big sports fan. He's big, big. And he said, do you ever wear a curse of the Bambino? Said no. He said, "Well, it's just a theory that the sale of Babe Ruth to the Yankees was an original sin, from which there can be no redemption." And and the point is, no one knows where it came from. That wasn't him. He was spouting off something he had heard. No one has ever proven or come up with the origin of it, the idea of it. All right, I just thought I'd throw that out there. So don't let anybody take credit for it. Without some kind of empirical proof that, that they actually got it in print or <laughs> somewhere before. Anyway, all right. Answer to your Don is no. Screw that. <laughs> the, the, uh, if you could talk a little bit more about the immediate reaction that the three, four, six months and maybe the year that you saw on the Celtics, how long his, the reaction of his death lingered to where it had any kind of effect or impact oh, on the team? Well, red, as I recall, red was, quite vocal that it had a long-lasting effect and has a negative effect on the team. Red, Red thought it hurt. He thought that the, that the, you know they were they would have been so well positioned to to prosper in the ensuing years uh, better than they did. You know after they never that group they never won until you know there was tw- uh, tw- twenty more more years, twenty two more years before they won. Uh, they went back to the finals in eighty seven, and of course this is what hurts. They were manpower shy. If they had had a player of the equivalent that we think that Reggie, that Len Bias would have been, I think they would have had a very good chance of beating the Lakers. They ran out of manpower. Mikhail was hurt. Uh, Bird was always hurt. But Mikhail, anyway, so I think and there was a lot of talk over the years that, you know, they could have used them. That's all kind of thing. Red, and I, as I recall, Red, Jan might be able to verify that for you, you know, if you want to ask him specifically uh, on a follow-up. But I have recall that Red was – pretty vocal that he thought it was a, and had a negative effect for upwards of a decade. How about from your perspective on the emotional side, how long did, did you sense, did players talk about it to you or did, was it brought up? But it, well, I mean, it, 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 I know these guys are so focused on the, on the yeah. moment when they're playing, they're probably just thinking about, but they did it. No, I don't know. I don't think nobody knew. Him. It's not like mm. they, they never had a chance to forge even a, a one day relationship. So, I mean, that's the difference. That's why this is so, it's such a bizarre, you know, it's such a, a one-off story. Uh, you know, Reggie Lewis is one thing, you know, guy, but, but a, a player who this whole scenario took, unfolded in, in less than 24 hours from the draft, which is started at noon. And so the pick was probably 1220 or 1215 until, you know, the, the, they went back home and did what he did. And, and, and the next morning we're talking 20 hours, 18 to 20 hours. From the time he was drafted to the time, uh, you know, or, or no, less than that, by the time it became common knowledge in the mid-morning of the day after, less than 24 hours. So I don't think there was any any emotional scarring on the on – the, uh, I think there was a professional, uh, you know, regret, but not an emotional scarring. 
Did you see any heightened emotion, sadness, uh, maybe surprise was, was prevalent in, in, within the Boston community and Celtic supporters right after he died? Did you see any heightened emotion like we saw here in the DC area? I mean, it's, it was, it was one of the biggest stories in the DC area in decades, but I imagine it's still different for Boston. Did you see anything that reflects that heightened emotion in Boston? People, I think, were immediately aware that it was a much bigger story in Washington than it could ever be have been in Boston. It's a, you know, it it was a great coup by Jan to make the deal that got him this pick, and now it's not going to materialize. You know, that kind of technical, you know, but I don't think there was an emotional attachment. You know, uh, if we had a larger uh, college basketball savvy uh, audience here, you know, maybe I could make a case for it, but we don't. We didn't then, and we still don't. Is, this is not a, it's almost a backwater of college, you know, national college basketball knowledge and interest. Um, so, um, most people, I'd say well over half the Celtic fans, maybe three quarters of them, all they knew about Len Bias is what they were being told. Not that they could verify it, uh, you know, because it's not that we're not a hotbed and we, we, we weren't then. Uh, you know, I was excited, boy, you know, but I was, but, uh, and, and, but my little world, we were very excited, but, you know, people just knew they were getting a good player. They didn't have a feel for exactly the nature of of this of his skill and talent. You talked about the the legacy of Len within the context of of Boston. What about a general legacy? Can you your perspective on a general, the most profound aspect of his general legacy, and also do you see any positives coming from this? You made a reference to Lenise Bias and how much she's she's still out there, by the way, speaking. It's amazing. Um, that's, I guess people can perceive that as a positive. Jay Billis says there's no positive to this story when we talk to him. There's nothing positive about it. Do you have any, any perspective about a positive and then a general legacy? Yeah, me? I don't know if there's, I don't know. I'm more inclined to agree with Jay other than whatever, uh, you know, good things that, that Lenny's can bring to the table for people. But, uh, um, you know, it, it, it's a sad story, you know, drug, you know, people need to be preached to. Do people need another somebody else preaching about the evil, Ill, evils of drug, you know, and uh, kind of thing? Um, um, it's, it's I just say because it was so weird, it, it would have been so different. Well, Reggie, you know, the, the impact of Reggie is one thing because people, you know, had a, you know had a, a, a relationship with him, you know, experience with him, but then had no relationship with with Len Bias. It was it was a sad, sad story in, in in abstract general terms for people. It wasn't personal. You know, Reggie, you could personalize Reggie, but it was, it, it was, diff- I don't think too many people could, you know, uh, maybe, maybe some local Maryland alums, but not too many other people could personalize Len Bias. It was, it was, a, a the lost asset. I hate to sound cold and cruel. I just think that's what it was. It was the lost asset. And anybody who's remotely sensitive could appreciate the sadness of the story of the young, the athlete dying young kind of thing. And then a little bit of anger, if you want, because, you know, it, it was avoidable naturally, you know, uh, he didn't get hit by a car, you know, he ingested, you know, did whatever he did. And, um, um, so it, there, there's that. Uh, I got one other question for you, Bob. Okay. You know, uh, ESPN did a three-hour Remembering Len Bias package last summer. It was the middle of uh, the last dance. It was on a middle of the week one night. Mm-hmm. Why, what is about this story makes it still resonate 35 years, 36 years later? Hmm. 35 years later. Uh, it's, it, it is unique. 
It's a unique story. The idea of, as I said, this whole time thing played out in less than 24 hours. The, 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 the drafting and then the partying and the death. Less than 24. Give me a, for, where's the, for instance, where's the, where's the other, for instance, of this? I, I can't even imagine. I can't think of anything. You know, we've, we've had all kinds of different yeah. tragedies historically of plane crashes, automobile crashes, uh, um, you know, Stanley Ketchell shot, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff, but Eddie Wakeus, right? You know, Ruth Steinhagen shot him. I mean, you, but this one, huh? And in the immediate hours after a draft, after he's been, you know, he's been, been showcased to the Boston media and doing, doing the rounds and everybody's on such a high. We're going to get this great talent and boom. Um, stunning. There's nothing like it. Plus, I don't know. There's lefty figure into this. Partially because he was lefty was he was lefty's coach and lefty was his coach probably, um, uh, maybe in the whole you know, ACC being the de glamour conference for basketball of them all, uh, um, you know maybe you know, maybe as I said I'm I'm, I'm aware that Coach Case twice told me how good he was uh, that's pretty high praise I don't know but I just think you got to say it, it's just weird no, there's nothing to equate it to that in terms of the the rapidity, the time frame. Len Bias, A Mixed Legacy, The Interviews, was produced by Dave Ungrady and Don Marcus. Len Bias, A Mixed Legacy, is distributed by the 8Side Network. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome.